We are bouncing through the book of Acts, and we're dealing with conversational Christianity. <coughs> I'm going to deal this morning with a, a person that often gets over, overlooked, and it's easy to see why. We don't really have a conversation with this person at all. What's going to take place is a conversation because of the person. Uh, we'll have several of those that, that goes on, but uh, <coughs> it, it has always caused me to wonder what happened to this little girl. I want to read verses 16 through uh, 24, and uh, we'll draw three important uh, points from this. The, the key word for conversational Christianity today is cost, C-O-S-T, cost. What does it cost you to have that conversation? Beginning at verse 16, chapter 16, the book is Acts. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. This little slave girl doesn't get a lot of attention. <clears throat> the story does, as you can imagine, because it's what prompts Paul and Silas to be in the prison at midnight singing and praying and all that, which is a, a lesson we'll have next time. That conversation that they will have had uh, both by example and verbally with the Philippian jailer. Powerful story about evangelism, etc. But this particular part of the story seems to be kind of a setup. And so we kind of rush through it. And I wonder, especially in our series, if we ought not take time to discuss this. Now, as I've already said, we don't really have a conversation that goes on with this little girl. At least we don't know of the conversation. But it does prompt a lot of questions. Perhaps you have done this as you have studied scripture on your own, but every once in a while you come across a story and there is this sub-character, somebody who's just kind of off on the side, and you, you hear about them one time and then they're gone. But perhaps you've taken the time in your Bible study to consider, I wonder what happened to that person. Where, they don't ever show up again. I wonder what took place in their life. Obviously, we can't draw any conclusions because we don't know. But there's some things about this story that would allow us to perhaps guess that uh, she certainly had a better life, I would think, after this. She's no longer possessed by the demon. On the other hand, maybe she didn't have a better life because she is going to be maybe persecuted because you once were a good moneymaker and now you're not a good moneymaker. I don't know. Maybe she's now going to be out on the streets having to beg because she no longer has anything or anyone to take care of her. I don't know. Is it possible that when we see Paul and Silas later on with the Philippian jailer, and really maybe you could even back up and say this started with Lydia, <coughs> this home church that's established in Philippi here. Is it possible that she, the slave girl, became a member of that home church? Maybe nobody else would take her in. 
Maybe she's marked now as the one, uh, you're the one that Paul did that miracle on. You know, I don't know. Again, we, we just don't have the information, but it does kind of make you wonder, doesn't it? What took place with this girl, with this little girl. But as I see the conversations really swirl around this little girl, there are three things that I think take place that could be applied to you and I in our life as far as conversations go with regards to our friends and neighbors around about us. And these three things all tie into this idea of cost. Now, one would think that with regards to conversation that there wouldn't be a lot of cost involved. I mean, I see you at Walmart, I say, hey, how's it going? Uh, Nathan and I have done this before, you know, and he stops for a moment from doing his work and I say, maybe there's a cost there, I don't know. You know, that you, had, you didn't get to put up an extra box because Sonny come along and said, hey, how you doing? You know, but you know, as far as really having any level of investment in our conversations, I, I'm glad to see him. I think he's glad to see me, but we didn't exchange money or nothing. So, you know, is there any cost really involved in that? And typically you kind of think of that, do you not, with regards to conversations, the person you see up at the local restaurant having a coffee in the morning or whatever, it doesn't really cost you anything. Ah, maybe you bought them a cup of coffee, but really is there a cost involved in that? Generally in our culture, cost is not involved in conversation. Now, I've got a very good friend. His name's William Bissethu. He's probably watching. He's in Uganda. Good, good guy. But he regularly, with his brothers, will journey off into distant parts of his country. And the journey's a very dangerous journey, if you, especially if you don't have the proper transportation. And sometimes he does not. And occasionally he finds himself stranded and having to walk in areas that is very difficult and, and, and dangerous for him. There is a great cost that's associated with my friend Bissethu as he goes off and has these conversations with people in various parts of his, uh, of his uh, area. It's a cost that sometimes in America we just don't seem to associate it that way. In fact, probably most of us as Christians, if we felt like that there was a danger, we wouldn't go. But I'm so thankful that there are people braver than I who are willing to risk journeys to make sure that the conversation does take place. The first thing that I see happening in our text that's a, an inconvenience, if you will, a cost, is the loss of schedule. It was inconvenient on Paul. You can see that later on in some of the, the way he says he was greatly annoyed, so he turns and he removes the spirit from her after several days of all of this going on. He, he's losing time. Now, if you come all the way back to verse 16, you see what the time is. It says that as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by the slaves. So evidently they were regularly going to a place of prayer. Now pedal backwards. Remember that's where Lydia was. Maybe they're going to the same place down by the river. I don't know, but they're going to, they're going to have prayer time. This was very important to them. But as they go to have prayer time, there's this little girl and she's constantly calling out things, which by the way is very truthful. But Paul's heart evidently goes out to her. And he says, this is just enough. I'm, bless her heart. And so he, he exercises the demon from her. And from that point on, she doesn't have the talent, if you call it that, to bring money to her masters, which causes them problems, might even have caused her problems. But my first point is this. Notice that it finally comes to a head because Paul is tired of losing time. His schedule and so he stops and he says, okay, we're going to deal with it now. And he takes care of business. There are, have been on numerous occasions in my life, moments when I just didn't want to have the conversation. 
And it wasn't because I was intimidated. It wasn't even because it was awkward. It was just because I had other things I felt was more important. And so I, I just didn't take the time. I didn't have the conversation. And I'm not saying that just because some random person comes up to you, that that is worthy of you breaking your schedule to make sure it happens. Because I think we need to be good stewards of our time. But I do know that in my own personal life, because I can't speak for you, but I do know that in my own personal life, <clears throat> I have been at times so driven by what I wanted to accomplish, I was not really attuned to what God wanted to accomplish through me. Maybe you have been that way as well. I think the first application for you and I is to recognize that Paul, after several days of being tortured by this, he says, okay, I am going to stop and there will be a conversation. Now, notice that the conversation doesn't really happen with the little girl. The conversation happens with the demon. Come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of her. I'm done. We're not doing this no more. So you, you, you see the power of Paul clearly in this, but you also see the focal point of Paul. You see, it's not just that he's powerful in, in the ability to exercise a demon, but his focal point is on Jesus Christ. Look, I got Jesus Christ business that needs to be happening here, and she's getting in the way because of you, demon, and so get out of her. And that's what takes place. She has the demon exercised from her, thankfully. The second thing that often at least in this case, became, a, a, prop, became a, a cost and can be often a cost even in our own lives with, unfortunately, friends who are not very honest, is we have a loss of fairness. As you, as you move further into the story, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul's eyes, dragged him to the marketplace, etc. Verse 20, when they brought him to the magistrates, notice what they say. Here's the accusation. These men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. That's not really what their problem is. They weren't upset that they were Jews. They weren't upset that they had customs. They were upset because they're losing money because they exercised the demon from a little girl. But that's not what comes up. When these guys try to defend themselves or make the case, I should say, against Paul and Silas, they're going to twist the facts to make sure that they get represented as they want. What would it have looked like had they come before the magistrate and said, <coughs> now we admit we've been taking advantage of this poor little girl. We admit she's got a demon and we haven't been very kind to her because we're kind of, you know, we're using her to make money for ourselves. How would that have looked? They're not going to come before the magistrates and admit what is truth. They're going to go before the magistrates and they're going to make a case that makes them look good these Jews have come here and they got practices that we as Romans shouldn't be having. We got to do something about it. In fact, it infuriates so many people to get them all inflamed to the point that they're going to beat them because of the, the false accusations that are happening here. The second thing, application I would lay on your heart with regards to conversation is you are going to on occasion, maybe too many occasions, but you are on occasion going to encounter somebody who's just not fair in the conversation. They're going to misrepresent what you've said. They're going to misrepresent the way you said it. They're just not going to be fair. But when that takes place, I would encourage you to remember the focal point of Paul in the previous point, and that is it's all about Jesus Christ. There are few people that have ever come to this planet who have been more abused than our Lord and Savior. 
And not just physically abused. That Obviously, that, that's horrible, and we can enumerate all those, and you've studied those on many occasions. But have you ever just gone through the emotional abuse that Jesus received? The lies. They literally hired liars so that they could get Jesus put on the cross. I, the personal confession, when I was in high school, I played a lot of sports. My, my favorite was basketball. And there are a few things, few things that I hated more than having a foul called on me, and it wasn't me that committed the foul. I mean, it just, I didn't, I never got a technical and I never got thrown out of game, but I'm telling you, I was close. I do not like it when people accuse me of something that I have not done. Now, if I have done something and I need for you to come to me and correct me, I'll be honest with you, I'll probably bow up even then. But eventually, I have proven by my character, I will want to come to repentance. It will eat at me until I come to repentance. But when you accuse me of doing something that I am not at fault at doing, <coughs> it just gets on my last nerve. Can you imagine Paul and Silas in this situation? Hearing these men being brutally beaten by the magistrates and others <coughs> for doing a good thing. And not just doing a good thing, but they are now convicted because of lies about the good thing that they did. Really leaving out the good thing that they did. There's nothing in the accusations that suggest it had anything to do with the fact that they had done a good thing for a little girl. Everything to do with the fact that they're Jews who have different practices than we have. It's just a bunch of lies. It's a pack of lies. And yet, Paul and Silas never lose track of the, it's about Jesus Christ. You know how I know that. You know it as well, because you've read the rest of the story. Pedal forward, what we're going to do at midnight. They're singing and praying at midnight. You'll see that next week. How is that possible? When they have just been abused for doing a good thing. Because their focus was not on the abuse, their focus was on Jesus Christ. Keep the conversation where it needs to be. Keep it centered on Jesus. And in that, you will have accomplished all that you are called to accomplish. Number three, it's also a loss of security. So first of all, we had loss of schedule, loss of fairness, loss of security. I need to be careful on this because I, I honestly haven't completely made up all of my, how shall I say, convictions on when to take a risk and when not to take a risk. I, between you and I, there have been on occasions when I picked up hitchhikers. And uh, there have been a couple of times I'm not sure I should have picked that one up. On the other hand, there have been times when I picked up hitchhikers, we've had some pretty good conversations. Um, my father tells the story, true story, of a young man who, after my dad had studied with this young man about the plan of salvation, he got so excited that on the way home, uh, after leaving class, he, he picked up a hitchhiker, and um, they began studying the same things that this young man and my dad had studied just a little bit earlier. He began giving it to this guy. I mean, he's a captive audience, what's he going to do? And so he's he got the Bible open in his lap. My friend's driving the Bible open in his lap. They're reading these passages out of the book of Romans and, and various things are transpiring, conversation being had, long journey. True story. They got to the final passage, Romans 6, 3, and 4, talking about baptism. And the hitchhiker 
looked at my friend and he said, hey man, there's a river right there. How come I can't get baptized right now? Pulled over and baptized him that day because he picked up a hitchhiker and had a conversation about the Lord. I think we got to be careful. I think we got to use common sense. But at the same time, I think, same time, I think that I, I know I can, I don't know about you, but I can honestly say there have been times I did not take advantage of a conversation because, well, it's going to make me uncomfortable, put me at risk. I don't know whether I should go there or not. I think we need to be careful. We need to be, we need to be prayerful. But at the same time, when I consider my friends in Uganda, Kenya, and other places going into difficult, treacherous situations to have the conversation about Jesus, and sometimes I'm worried about whether or not that, uh, that fellow is going to say a cuss word in the middle of our conversation, so I'm just not going to have a conversation at all. I think I, I think I could do better. Last thing you see here is security. You'll notice that what goes on here is they advocate customs is the accusation, verse 22 and then verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. And of course the jailer is going to take and put them in the inner prison and going to put their feet in stocks. And so they're going to, they're going to hurt because of the conversation that they were willing to have in this situation. My mind, when it comes to security, it always goes to the story of our Lord, the story that he told about the Good Samaritan, possibly the most common story ever told amongst the world. There are folks who've never read the Bible who know the story of the Good Samaritan. But it's interesting that that Samaritan puts himself at great risk to do what he does for that individual found in the ditch. He not only has cost in paying for him, uh, but just the idea of stopping in that desolate area to go down into the ditch and to pull the guy up out who's been beaten. Who knows, but the robbers are still close by. The story that Jesus tells there about the Good Samaritan, it tells us more than just that the Samaritan was the hero here. It tells us that he was willing to take a risk to do the right thing. Again, let me be real careful to caution you in that I'm not saying that Jesus is saying that you and I should just pack up and go into dangerous situations just because. But I am saying that, at least on a lesser level, there have been times in my life when I have avoided a situation because it was dangerous to my convenience. Not really dangerous to my person. I ought to be willing to sacrifice my convenience for the conversation. And so as you read this part about the little girl having the demon exercised from her, what happens to her, I don't know. I'd like to think that she became part of that little house church there that meets in Philippi, but we don't know. But one thing we do know, or three things that we do know, is that Paul was willing to sacrifice his schedule to have this conversation. He was willing to sacrifice fairness to make sure that he represented Jesus. And he was willing to sacrifice his security in order to make sure that the conversation happened. Those are things that I can apply in my life more readily, and perhaps you can as well.